Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. Today, we are here with Barry Berman with Integritas Consulting Group. Barry, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. We love Love to kick it off with a story. So why don't you just start us off with one of the craziest real estate transactions or experiences that you ever had? Well, crazy ones, huh? Well, one of them is I owned a condo uh, in uh, Thornton, I think the area was at the time. And I uh, bought this condo because I was going to set it up as, you know, one of the early Airbnbs. There weren't Airbnbs in those days. So, you know, you had to set up the whole property with furniture and get everything organized and all that. And then as we did all that, we realized, no, nah, I think I want to rent this place out. So I rented it out to a guy and his mother. And they're very nice, nice people. And then one day when I went over there, I found out he's a mechanic and he would bring mm-hmm. his engines into the house. with, And it was all white carpet. And it just was a horror to yeah, see what I had to deal with, with a white carpet and an engine after engine after engine. And it was not an easy thing to deal with this guy because you know how renters are sometimes. They're mm-hmm. just a pain to, you know, you wonder, why are they doing the right thing? Right. So I had to evict this guy, and it was not an easy experience to do that. But that was one of the worst ones. There and are so- two other ones I can tell you about as well. Yeah, tell us. No, the, uh, another one was uh, a guy that I really loved. I mean, this man had lived in the house for about 10 years, always late with the rent. I mean, it wasn't a day <laughs> that he wasn't paying late fees and this, that, and the other thing. And unfortunately, I got a phone call from his son who was at the Boulder Police Department saying that he had passed away oh, in no. the house. So oh. I had to deal as calmly and as... Uh, supportive with the son and the entire house that needed to be, you know, cleaned out and they were not moving in a timely fashion. And I tried not to be a jerk about it, but it was not an easy thing to Mm. deal with in that situation. Um, But we ended up, you know, taking care of it eventually. Otherwise I would have kept the property, but I decided to sell it at the time. Yeah. Look back now, don't sell any property. Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 30 years from now, you'll be thankful. Yeah. yeah. And and then the last one is currently I have a really great guy in the property that has a trust fund. So he always pays his rent. It's just that he does whatever he wants to do. So you got a guy in there growing marijuana, you know, without telling me and, you know, putting in electrical systems and air conditioning. <laughs> and now I stopped by the property and never watered the lawn. So I got to deal with him and uh and a good guy you know who just is always on time with the rent but you know i think (laughs) the best advice i got from uh, a broker today is just leave the property alone make sure it's all cut and the roses are all taken care of and you don't have to deal with the sprinkler system or any of that stuff because when the time comes to sell the house then you'll put everything in shape that it needs to be as long as it's (laughs) livable you know Mm -hmm. which by law you need to do yeah so those are the three main interesting experiences i've had yeah, mostly on the landlord side, yeah. Yeah, mostly on the That reminds me of um, a recent story one of my friends told me. He said he found a flyer for one of his units. They were running really? a gentleman's club in the basement. 
Um, <laughs> oh, that's amazing. During COVID. And he wasn't paying the bills, too. Oh, so she's like, obviously, you're running an illegal business in my house, and you're not paying me. <laughs> that's right. How is that it's happening? Right. I will yeah. tell you just some background. I got started in 1981, probably before you guys were born, right, in the real estate business. Mm-hmm which was not a good time to get in because interest rates, rates were yep. 17%. Wow. And like, how can you sell anything there? And there was one guy who was selling off the charts in, in that environment here in Denver. And we all wondered, how the heck are you doing this? But he was really efficient and effective. He created a lot of relationships around him. He had a personal assistant that went everywhere with him, you know, and what he needed. And this guy was making hands over foot, you know, whatever they say, mm-hmm. uh, money in a 17% interest situation. So wow. it's not impossible for us out there. You really just got to get creative and concentrate on real estate, um, you know, relationships. It's the relationships is where you'll find the deals. Mm-hmm. Gotta be out there all the time. So so my dad started, I don't know if I told you this before, Mm -hmm. Barry, but my dad's been selling houses since 84. So one of my favorite questions to ask him is like, how did you do this before the internet, before e-signing, before all that stuff? Mm -hmm. And he's just like, I had to drive the ball for everything. So he's like, he would get the the contract, he would drive to the lender's office and physically drop it off. That's right. (laughs) And then, (laughs) and all these other things. And then, you know, they have the MLS book, but you don't know how active the MLS book or what's actually for sale and stuff because it's literally just a book that was printed out. And it's just crazy that people were able to get things done back then when it's you so know and they had efficient. a teletype machine you know like a teletype <laughs> yeah. which would print out new listings and new sales and it was just not efficient at all and you depended on, a lot on the phone people calling in to create relationships mm-hmm. so yeah that was a really interesting time i was there during that i thought it was fun so if we were to compare the times so now yeah. we have all the systems that can make us efficient as you could possibly be and we also have internet sites that pull buyers and sellers away from us to corporations and other scenarios. Plus, all of yes. our competitors can compete for the business much easier. How do you feel the competition of today ranks to the competition of then? Like, is it easier to get business now or was it easier to get business then? Wow. I think it was easier then because it was more personal. It was less technological you know you just had to be out on the street meeting people and talking Mm -hmm. to people and literally go you can do great i know a guy here that uh goes door to door meeting people and Mm -hmm. that was one of the things i made a notice he every he asked us when it first met him how many offers did you do today and Mm -hmm. all of us looked at each other and went none and if you're not making an offer every day, you're not doing well. So it was mm-hmm. a lot more personal out in the street, going door to door, meeting people. And, you know, you got to confront your own embarrassment and your own, like, fear of mm-hmm. knocking on someone's door and just talking to them and getting to know them in your farmland, because that's where we were farming most of the time. Totally. And I find it easier then than it is now. Although, you know, with all, all the technology stuff helps you for sure. Totally. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like selling 100 houses a year now, once you have the clients, is easier today, obviously. But getting those clients, I mean, 
all the skills you generally have to know is it's pretty extensive. Yeah, and that's the most important part, right? Is generating the leads, creating the relationships, and then finding the deals delivered to you, I suppose, if you will. Mm -hmm. That really takes a concentrated effort. And I don't know, I don't know what the statistics are, but what's, how many uh, real estate agents really make over 40 grand, I think? I think the average is 40,000 or something like that. No? It's, it's, it's less than 10%. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah so like, yeah, the, I think the last I looked, it was like 37,000 was the average income. Yeah, that's right. And then, so it's like, and that's, um, go ahead, Tim. Yeah, so that's after the washout rate because 90% of people that get licensed do not have a license in three years. So the 10% of people that make it, yeah. most of them making $40,000 or less. Yeah. And to make it, you got to work and you have to be mm. on the phones and you got to love people and love relationships. And anybody can generate that because you just be yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. That's an astute point. I, I find that the more the more I lean into being who I actually am as a person, the better off my life generally tends to be. Yeah. Um, so Barry, like dialing it back to the beginning again, right? So you started as an agent yeah. in the eighties. It was, um, and then you started acquiring properties. Could we kind of start like start? How did that process go? How did the transition go from agency to investor? And like, what kind of challenges did you run into? I'm trying, let's see. So it was more and company who don't exist anymore. And that was in 1981. And I started doing selling real estate then, which then really helped to create relationships with people and finding, you know, deals out there. And then uh, I got some book by Robert Allen. Do you remember him? Nobody yeah. Knows Robert. Mm -hmm. He was like the, the guru of real estate investing. And I started to read his books and I started to really get into and dwell in the world of real estate investing as I thought that might be the best place to build any kind of wealth because hmm. you can do great as a real estate agent and make a lot of income, but that's not building wealth ultimately. Totally. You know, acquiring properties and holding them for the long term. you know, you could flip them and fix properties up and sell them. That's a good way to generate income. But if you really want to generate the benefits of, investing that's what you do is you acquire the property so i moved away from that to more of investing i found some relationships with real estate agents that would help me acquire the properties that i thought were good deals to do bought some up in longmont colorado uh in denver uh my own home um and made mistakes too, you know, getting, I had my father's uh, condo in New Jersey. It would have been smart to keep that, but I got rid of it. And, you know, other houses that I had that when I look back, I should have, you always look back, I should have kept them. <laughs> totally. And uh, learned as much as I could from other people about how to put deals together and how to buy the properties with someone else's money and, you know, keep them. Kind of like that. So what were some of the challenges that you faced in the process of going from being an agent to going to be an investor? Oh, learning. As learning as much as I could about how to do these things. I think I took courses. I studied classes. And until I got myself on the court of actually talking to people out mm -hmm. there and finding out what they've got and seeing if I can place an or make an, you know, make an offer and having it accepted or declined. I wasn't really in the game. 
I had to get out there and do it. And that was the uncomfortable part, you know? So let's talk about that. You mentioned the discomfort that you felt. Um, you said you felt like you had yeah. a lot of the knowledge, but you didn't really learn until you got out there, until That's you right. got outside of your comfort zone. So how did you get outside of your comfort zone? Uh, kind of like a kind of person who likes to talk to people and I'm willing to risk myself a lot more than I think <laughs> a lot of people are. So what was the best thing to say about this is that it was um, my willingness to create these relationships with people and to use other people. And I don't mean use manipulatively. I mean to have other people share their knowledge of what works or doesn't work. Because I couldn't do it alone. I had to really find out who knew you know, about finance and how do you, you know, finance a deal and, uh, you know, what to look for when you're looking for properties. And they would share those things with me. And then I'd go out on my own and start to knock on doors and, you know, drive around neighborhoods. And, you know, after a while, when you keep doing that, you start to actually see a house that needs something. Before, it just looks like a house like everybody else's house. Then you look and you say, ah, that roof's not been taken care of or that property's not been attended to. What's that about? I better look that up and see what's going on there. And then couple with other people on doing that and gain as much knowledge and experience as I can on the court. I don't know. Is that answering it? Absolutely. 100%. And that driving for dollars still works. You know, you'd be surprised how many shitty houses are out there. Yeah. Um, you're just not looking for them normally. But when you're looking for them, like, you could find, like, 50 in, like, two hours pretty easily. Oh, you know, there's one prop now. This <laughs> deal was way beyond what I would ever take on. But there's one property on Spear Boulevard that was a hotel. And that is a piece of crappy hotel. Excuse my <laughs> Really great area that's building condos and townhomes around it. And I started to dig into the thing and I discovered it was in a receivership and, uh, you know, there was two men fighting over with another woman about the property and they just could never come to work out anything. And if they were, if you were able to get your hands on that, that's an awesome piece of property there. You, but you have to dig into these things and find out what's really going on. Totally. And, and the best deals come with all kinds of craziness. I know when I first got started, my mother-in-law wanted to invest. And we got to a property, you know, the day before tax default auction. And this property mm-hmm. was in a trust. It had three, you know, uh, trustees. And then there was a mom that had a life estate. And then the, the person running it, the administrator, essentially lived in Nevada. And we had to appease all of those people in one day to get them to sell to us so we can mm-hmm. buy them before the tax auction. Oh, um, wow. And you did it. We did it. it we started at 9 a.m. and the taxes were paid at 4.30. That's awesome. <laughs> so, and that story actually right down to the wire. has, yeah, it has kind of an interesting element to it because we, we bought it, got it cleaned up. There was a lot of stuff in the property and then someone snuck in and like a third of it burnt down. Um, oh. So we had to fight with the insurance and then when the insurance money came in, then we sold it and made a profit on the property, but it was a wild ride. But you know, anything could happen. I was in a class in which a guy was teaching us how to look for apartment buildings and small ones. He would just get on the phone and uh, call out of the MLS book or some 
some something. And one time he just called out of it and found out there was somebody he could make an offer to. So he went and made the offer way under what it was offering for. And he got the deal right mm. there on the spot, right in front of us. And, Love <laughs> and it. And he closed it later on. So anything's possible if you're in communication with people. Yeah. If you're, my policy is if I'm in my office, I am talking outside my office to lots of many people as I can in a day, really asking them what opportunities are out there. Yeah. And they'll tell you and you meet them for lunch or whatever, and they know somebody else and anything. But if you're just sitting in your office doing paperwork, not much is going to happen. Totally. <laughs> so walk us through your progression. So you're a real estate agent, successful agent, become investor because you realize that's where that's where it's at yeah. and get some life freedom from it. Kind of take us through, you become an investor. How does that story continue? How does that lead you up today? Well, then I just started to keep exploring for other properties. And then and one day I discovered, wow, I'm really lit up about some other things other than just real estate. I mean, I love doing it and I want to keep acquiring property. So I uh, put a hold on that for a while and started to get into consulting and developing uh, other companies and um, individuals in terms of developing leadership and mm. developing integrity for people. So I went more in that direction because that kind of lit me up. And it was that a result of seeing maybe a lack of integrity in business. Oh, it's huge. We are losing <laughs> on the battlefield of integrity in the world. And that's everywhere. I mean, you know, from deals not being honored to, you know, people saying what they're going to do and they don't do it. I mean, oh, that's, it's all over the place. What would be some ways, like, so obviously there's the things that are obviously show lack of integrity. Someone steals from somebody, something, yeah. you know, along those lines. What are some of the areas of integrity you think, like, that you see constantly being broken that maybe people wouldn't think are a lack of integrity or are just most common? Well, the investment side, there are many, many people out there who are promising, you know, you can uh, make 3% a week or something on if you, you get into this investment. And then you find out later they're selling securities when they're not licensed to. And I don't know what they're thinking is, what, do you think you can get away with this? No, you're not going to get away with this. So there's those situations or someone not really representing what the property actually has, the issues that the property might have, you know, whether it's under the street and the sewer lines that go to the house and they don't represent that. And later on you find out you have to pay 12 grand or something for a new dig up the whole street, uh, just to, you know, things like that. Um, just, so I wanted to say something about the whole area of integrity. And I think I brought it up with Tim. I'm not talking about just morality, ethics, and legality, you know, in doing the right thing, everybody says you should do. But the problem is the right thing for terrorists is kill us, you know, kill Americans. But that doesn't work for you and I. That's not the kind of integrity that for them, oh yeah, that fits my values. I, I'll just take you out. No, I mean, that's an extreme case, but there's no common place people can look to to see 
what causes a certain workability in relationships and in work and in life. And I have found that if we can, and I brought this up with Tim, if you can have the tongue in your mouth match the tongue in your shoes, that's a certain integrity to that. Or saying it in more simple terms, if what you honor what you say. So if I say I'm going to do something and I will do that, or maybe I will come back to you and let you know that I'm not going to do those things so that you're not left holding the bag or that you can't count on me because it doesn't build much trust if you're not, you know, relating to people that you had promised something and you don't deliver on it, huh? But people don't even see that. They don't see that it destroys any kind of working relationships. If you have a commitment to have a working relationship, you ought to, you know, build some trust in that relationship. And I think that's really critical in the real estate field, let alone in any other business. Totally. And we see that a lot. The groups we're in, we work a lot with agents and then we're also doing a lot of investing. And you kind of alluded to it with a 3% per week style scenario. There's a lot of people that maybe they feel like they're capable of running something. They get into it and it's clearly over their heads. And it's just amazing how many of them just disappear. They do. Now, you would think they get away with something, but they don't get away with it because they've got standards for themselves that they've set unawarely, unconsciously. That, you know, I'm a, a person uh, that, you know, walks my talk. Of course I am. So when I violate those standards, it has a cost to me. And the cost is in my health and my well-being, in my sense of my ability to do things and accomplish things. So when I violate that, I'm a smaller person. And then you don't your your voice doesn't have any power to it. You know what I mean? So I'm as rigorous as I can to not be full of it. And uh, when I discover that I am, I will fix it. You know, I'll tell you that I messed it up. Yeah, such an important point too, because it's like you said, a lot of people might might appear that you got away with something, but the destruction you do to yourself when you don't honor your word is can be pretty profound. Yeah, it's just not worth it. Mm -hmm. But it's so weird, mm -hmm. isn't it, that people do those things and they do it to themselves. And I just, I've always had a hard time figuring out why you would want to destroy everything that you love and appreciate and enjoy to get ahead or to make it, uh, you know, without any ethics to it. It just doesn't fit for me, but we do that. We're human. Um, Everyone who listens to our show knows Matt and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times you have watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. And the results prove this. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secret that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. 
This is why we have opened up a few one-on-one coaching slots with Freedom Chasers Coaching, where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are and where you want to go, and most importantly, how you want to get there. Where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are, where you want to go, and how you want to get there. The benefit of working with Matt and I is that we are interviewing between 5 and 20 successful people Every single week, we have accumulated hundreds of seven figure strategies and gotten the inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We are able to work with you to pick the strategy that will fit the best and then help you create the custom plan and steps to take you quickly into financial freedom. The fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us, and let's get you on a straight-line path to freedom. Let's say unsavory folks out there, right, (laughs) that are trying to take advantage of people. What kind of red flags do you look for? Because a lot of these people could put on a really good front. And they do. Um, And they do. So, like, what kind of red flags would you be looking for in order to define somebody's integrity when you're looking to start out a new relationship? Yeah, I don't want to put people in boxes and say for sure that that is something. But I would pay attention to what comes out of people's mouth. And do they walk the talk or does their tongue match their tongue in their shoe? Do you understand? There used to be tongues and shoes. I think that's still maybe. And do, do they, you know, when they say, I'm going to call you back? Tim, and they don't. Well, that's a little bit of a red flag. Or, you know, I promise I'm going to deliver this by a certain time, and they don't do that. You got to be straight with them and make sure they understand that we're in a business deal here. And, you know, I'm counting on you to deliver on what you said you'd do. And if you're not, I need to know that. So I might look for little things and little things in a business that you know, you have to trust your gut that something's off here and just bring it up and see how you could fix it with them. Absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. So let's kind of um, dig a little bit deeper into your consulting company now. So obviously you're, you're helping other entrepreneurs and business owners now. Like let's say broad strokes here. Like what are the most common problems um, that people come to you for? To get corrected. Well, I'm, I'm starting to do. I'm starting to bring this whole integrity conversation to a large recycling company, and there's like 250, you know, people in the company, and we just led a, a day long workshop just on integrity alone that had a huge impact in people seeing the difference between what's morally right and what you should or shouldn't do, and you know, having a relationship with your word. You know, and a certain respect for your word and doing what you say you're going to do. So, you know, some of the challenges this company is facing is people just not fulfilling on what they promise, you know, in their accountabilities and their jobs. All the way down to the shop floor. You know, you've got drivers, you've got welders. They come in, they get the job, they get 25, 50 cents more down the street. I'm going to go there rather than stick around here. And then you can't count on them after all this time and resources you put into training them that they just leave for 25 cents more. And look, I can understand the challenge of being a welder in this heat and then doing that all day long. It's exhausting. So I think what the employers and employees have to do is have a much more personal relationship with those people authentically and uh, real that, 
they're there to take care of them and be part of that family and uh, see if that's more important than 25, 50 cents more an hour. That's just one of them. I mean, boy, if you go into SEC lawsuits and the things that are going on out there, you're going to find in business that there's a lot of corruption and lying going on. And in government, for sure. It's See how unworkable the government is? All these lies and, you know, disloyalty of what people are doing. It just things can't work real well. And then we blame it on other circumstances or, you know, blame it on other people and and situations when it's really not people not walking the talk. Nasty. How, how much do you feel like it's people that maybe set out in that direction versus people getting in over their skis and then finding a crisis point? Well, wouldn't you say, I don't know. Wouldn't you say Bernie Madoff was one of those? See, the problem with him was I think he got in over his head. I mean, he probably got in there to make some money and to and, and to uh, look good, if you will. And if he tried to get out, he got in it so deeply, getting out, you wouldn't look very good, would you? Nobody wants to not look, be admired and respected and honored and loved. So you have to keep the game going until the whole thing fell apart. Yeah. And we all do that. Yeah, probably similar to like the Catch Me If You Can story. I just listened to a talk. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) Like the stuff that he was able to pull off. I mean, escaping out of prison three times. I mean, like this guy was. (laughs) That was a good story. Crazy. But I don't think that's worth doing. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know. And well, I don't know why. <laughs> obviously, when he paid for it in the end. Um, see, my, my, the thing about walking the talk or your, you know, your tongue matching the tongue in your shoe is that you. Sorry, I think I keep getting beat. It, is that you experience more peace of mind? And I'm very much committed to. I don't want to worry about things. I don't want to have to worry that somebody's coming after me or I did something wrong and somebody's going to, you know, sue me or any of those things. And there are situations that are inevitable. Maybe that'll happen, but uh, I'd rather live a life where I'm free rather than I cut corners. And there are examples of cutting corners, you know, like I think in Minneapolis, was it where the, the bridge was built with cement that was not appropriate for this, for what, the mix was supposed to be and how it was all put together. And 30 years later, look at the result. People were killed out of it. Or that building down in Florida. That's a perfect example of not having the integrity of the building uh, taken care of. And the result was huge. And I think the best thing you can do is to wake people up to that you have a choice. You can be a person of your word and walk the talk or you will have a life that will continue, a, a predictable life that will continue in the direction that it's going like everybody else does. It's called ordinary. And I'm not interested in the ordinary. And I don't think the two of you are either or anybody else out there, really. Yeah. I mean, at the end of your life, I mean, it's like, how do you want to feel? You know, I know I think about this a lot. You know, how do you want people to talk about you? And the idea that that we've made money at the sake of other people, you know, like 
It just rings so hollow. Oh, I was just going to use that word, Matt. It is hollow. Don't you? I don't you love getting big paychecks, or you know, you close a deal and and you walk out and they give you the check and or the deposit in your account. It feels wonderful for two minutes, and then it's like it always was. I got more money in my account now. What? Oh, I'll take a nice vacation. Great, take a great vacation, and then that's after two weeks of that, you're bored or two two days. It's just not fulfilling. It's empty, like you said, and hollow. Is that worth it? You got to wake up. It's not worth it. I didn't say not do it. I like making money like anybody else. Sure. I've had my best two years during the pandemic. Really? Now, how can that be? Yeah. So in your work as a consultant, you're helping people... It sounds like an SEC type situations. You're helping people with ethics. What uh, what's the most satisfying work that you're doing there? Oh, it's really uh, it's so it 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 does deal with leadership. We lead a program called Being a Leader and the Effective Exercise of Leadership, and I lead a program called Integrity Matters inside of that. And they, you know, it's about people discovering they already are leaders, and that there are barriers to their expressing the leadership that doesn't allow them to be free to lead. You know, if you're going to be a leader and you're going to be effective as a leader, and this, this is important in real estate as well, or in leading your own life, you have to be able to be effective in the moment you're dealing with a difficult situation. You can't think about what the right thing there is to do or what your real estate coach said. You got to be effective and say the right thing in that moment. And how that happens in the work we do with the six days over three months or so is what we take away the barriers, the concerns, the fears disappear, they dissipate, and the significance is taken out of it. And they find themselves being the leader they already are. A lot different than going to college to learn information. Learning information is good to have, but it never changes how you see things. I, I know what to do to lose weight. Every morning I wake up and I know, why did I eat that yesterday? Well, that doesn't help my knowing that information if I'm not eating less and exercising more, which everybody knows. I don't do it. Absolutely. So you kind of got into this a little bit. You mentioned people are already leaders, yeah. right? But they have these barriers that are keeping them from fulfilling their potential, we'll say. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a couple of the barriers, you know, maybe um, self-consciousness or some fear. But what are the most common barriers that you see? And like, what would your recommendations be to remove those barriers? I don't know about that. Um, obviously, okay. don't give us your whole program, but I mean, oh, <laughs> give us a So glimpse. we found, let me see if I can remember it off the top of my head. We have found that in, uh, there are four fundamental um, um, foundations for leadership. One, the first one we talked about is a level of integrity that maybe who you are is not only a wonderful person and how you feel and all that, but maybe you're your word, right? And I'm gonna, have, I'm gonna walk my talk. So that's fundamental. Because without that, things are not going to work real well. And then the other uh, one is being authentic and real. You know, really like saying it how it is for you. And you're willing to be authentic about where you may not be. Rather than hiding it. 
you know, or shoving it under the rug. This is how it is for me, Tim, you know. You know, this is what I'm seeing in our relationship, and I'm going to be straight with you about it. This isn't working, whatever that is. And then uh, being willing to own it all. See, look, most people come into their business or in their as an employee or in a real estate office, and they take care of their area. But what if each employee came in and owned all of it? What if they were willing to be causing all of it? It's not true they're causing everything, but they're willing to be and own it and be responsible for all of it. That doesn't mean they do everything. It's just that they're standing there in the middle of the office and they look around and they go, what's wanted and needed here? And I'm going to make something happen here, even if it's not, I'm not accountable for it. And it takes the victimhood out of it. So I'm not a victim to things. And the last thing is we all of us uh, were born into a world and we ended up being how we are. You know, Matt, you're the way you are. However, whatever pluses, minuses you consider or other people consider, same with Tim and same with me. But if your life is up to something much bigger than your own personal success, it, it pulls for you to get outside of that and be more uncomfortable with it. I don't know if I want to say it that way. But to be someone else other than how you ended up. That makes sense. So, so those four. You're talking about like a growth period. Like you are who you are, but you need to continue to grow or else. And, 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 you know, and I, I'd have people around me. I remember I came into an office to work and I couldn't even put manuals together. You know, I was so uh, not confident about myself. And the people around me in that office, particularly one or two people I knew, were a demand for my greatness. And they demanded it out of me. And it was uncomfortable. I didn't like it. But you know what? I discovered I could do things that I didn't know I could do. And I built that muscle of confidence and that muscle of, you know, a respect for what comes out of my mouth and being someone of my word that allowed me to be who I am now, working with CEOs and C-suite executives and all around the world, for that matter, that I've worked. And they listen to me like I have something to contribute. I think that's a very astute point. I think most people are, are, are capable of accomplishing far more than they think they are. And it's simply because they don't put themselves into the right situations. They don't put themselves around the right people. And, you know, they end up being stagnant. Yeah, and then you accept that that's how reality is. But that's not how reality is. Reality is a lot more malleable than you and I think. You can create a lot more than we think we can. And putting ourselves around the right people and in the right environment, absolutely. I don't hang out with people who aren't up to something big, something that calls to me. Well, now, hold on. I, I do hang out with friends and we do go to the bar and we do have ball games. And, you know, they're not all up to huge things in life and all that. But, you know, I like hanging around with people that are questioning what's it possible uh, we could push human being to. You know, what we're up to is having the world work for everyone with nobody left out. I like that stuff. So, but it, I'm sorry I interrupted that. No, yeah. So basically, like, it sounds like the things that get you excited are when people are tackling the uncommon. Yeah. 
And so do you like what things within that are probably most exciting to you? Is it, is it the, the business conquest? It sounds like it's more the leadership. So are you yeah. more drawn to the people that are unlikely leaders that? <laughs> no, everybody I work with is an already successful, healthy human being. But what's interesting is they are willing to question and inquire into areas of life that they don't know they don't know. So they're willing to be committed to questions more than finding answers. Because there's a whole realm of life. You know, there's all this information that we know, right? I mean, you can go to textbooks, you can go to classes, you can do real estate class. I do all of those. I learn as much knowledge as I can. And then there's areas where you just don't know certain things. So you just delve in and find out the answers there. But those two realms are pretty much the same. There's what you, there's what you know. And then if you, you, there's areas you don't know, and once you find out that you now know that, it becomes part of what you know. But then there's a whole realm of life, of living, that you and I don't know we don't know, right? I mean, we just have no idea that there may be things impacting us and our view of life and our how we've put putting life together and it's like assumptions and beliefs and truths we so hold dear like in the what was it the fourth century everyone knew for sure the world was flat we were wrong about that but people operated like that was true they didn't go very far off the shore because they knew every time they saw a ship do that they didn't come back in those days so you don't do that you fall off the earth so why bother? Just hang around Italy somewhere. So, but that was not true. And there are many, if you think you and I are arrogant to think that's not true today, you know, in science and in, you know, in medicine in various areas that maybe we assume things to be true and believe these things. And it keeps us from looking and questioning, seeing what we can learn beyond it that could have a big impact in what we're, what we're up to and what other people are up to and the difference we can make on the planet. I know. <laughs> I love how you keep talking about like the difference that we can make. And, and also you said something like uh, our world is more malleable than most people think, which is such a, it's an astute observation because it's so true. Like everybody's totally in control of their lives, and and most people refuse to accept that. Yeah, we become, and, and they just feel like they're a victim of circumstance. Well, yeah, I don't know. A simple example. Do you ever? I, I live by a car wash that got taken over by somebody, and there's these tube men. Do you ever see those tube men? There's a big tube that they blow air in, and it's got on. And it goes oh, yeah. like that. Now, the context you and I are looking at that is that's a person, some kind of person. Don't we see that when that thing's doing this? You can't not see that. But that's just a bunch of rubber with pieces coming out and little things like this, and it's blowing all over the place. That's all, if you look at the fact, that's all it is, but that's not what you and I see. We see a per, some kind of person there, and you can't escape it. So the background view has us see what we're seeing. The, uh, and it all happens in language. So we go through, you know, 
our everyday life with these assumptions in English language, if you will, that we hold to be so true and it gives us a view of life that we look through and we see that that's really how it is. I'll tell you an example scientifically, okay? If you, scientists have seen, seen that you don't make the decisions you make. Your brain makes the decisions 10 seconds before you're aware that you do it. Well, that's a little bit of a shock to find out I'm, make, I'm not making the decisions. Who is? Well, my brain is in my life. So my brain is running my life. That might be the case. I'm not saying that's true, but that's what scientists with MRI studies are finding out. That's a little awakening to me. Well, then who's running the show here? It might even push it to totality, and I'm not going to go there. I can't say that's true. And most people would never be willing to listen to you anyway, because I've got choice in my life. I know. It's, look, I made a decision to go to college. I made a decision to buy, marry this lady. I don't know. Look, I, the last example was I was in a course in which a guy stood up and he said, you know, I feel like I have to be responsible for everything really annoys me. Guess what kind of job he had? Police officer? Close. He was an airline pilot. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> now, <Okay, well. laughs> maybe his brain said you have to be responsible for everything. and It even dictates what you do. I don't know if all that's true, but it seems to be. And it's worth exploring down these avenues to find out what you can find out. And just in the exploring, Matt and, and Tim, you are you feel uplifted out of just questioning and looking. It's why Einstein always asks, what's the question, not the answer? Anyway, I could go on for hours on this and being talked to death is a terrible death, they say. Well, I'm a, I was about to say I'm getting quite interested, though. So as we get into the subconscious making decisions for us, right? So... Like, that's like the most interesting thing in the world, right? Because that is scientifically proven to a degree. We make decisions subconsciously before we do it consciously. So it's like how much of our life is truly free will if our brain is is doing everything for us? I mean, it's a totally interesting observation. What other questions do you have similar to that? I would love to kind of. <laughs> Let me think for a second. I think. Uh... Oh, uh, you know, to what degree we have really any control over our behavior, our, our experience of our emotions or our experience of our thinking. You know, you, you know, you have that little voice in the back of your head that chatters away. You know, do you ever try to stop that little? I wake up in the middle of the night and sometimes that voice is just yakking, you know, what you should be doing the next day, what you shouldn't be doing. You know, is this deal going to work out? Is this client happy and all that? But if I had any power over that, if I had anything to do with it, I could just say stop it, but it doesn't seem to stop it. Well, what you can do is be mindful. And instead of being aware of all the thoughts, um, one of the best analogies I've found is like you could be sitting at a train station and trains will be going by, but you don't need to get on them. All right. So it's the same thing with thoughts. Thoughts go by, but you do not need to get on the thoughts and you can just let them go. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a matter of mindfulness. And the reason I asked the previous question is like, 
if our subconscious is making most of our decisions for us, could we change our subconscious? Could you change it? The only problem is I think that's a certain kind of resistance to how it is. But if I could embrace it, uh, own it, how else do I say that that's how I'm designed, I might have another freedom that I didn't see before. Because each human being is designed a certain way, huh? Or maybe the common human race is designed certain ways. Like I said, we come away with beliefs and assumptions and truths that we've never questioned. Yeah, and an exercise that I enjoy is just as the trains are passing by, you would say, is I like getting on for a little bit and figuring out how to commandeer the train, right? And, And so my favorite way is by just going, you know, you guys have heard the seven layers deep the why, like, why is this train passing by and why now and why? And then just, you go so deep that you try and tap into the subconscious from, from the outside. I think a lot of times if, if you're able to go five to seven layers deep, you can kind of figure out why that train's even there. And you know, a lot, maybe a lot of our life is given by the past. So there's a guy, Descartes, remember Descartes? Well, he had a hard time. He he was brilliant. And I understand that he um, uh, had doubted everything. You know, anything that came over his plate, he would doubt whether there were uh, evil forces having him think this way or whatever it was. The one thing he couldn't doubt was that he was a doubter. I think that's how it goes. In other words, that it what was doubting was he was or I am therefore there. I think therefore I am. Yeah. But here's the problem. Can you really find any I there? See, he did. I don't know where he came up with an eye, but I don't know where my eye is. Is it over here somewhere? Uh, Or is it in here or where is it? And maybe that is an inaccurate structure of some sort that we never question when I say I feel or I, you know, am hurt. But where is it? It's a very interesting point um, because let's just talk about like anesthetics, right? So a lot of people have out-of-body experiences when their brain is literally off. So even when your brain is no longer functioning, there's still something going on. Mm. Without, yeah, they measure that, right, with MRIs and mm-hmm. it's without a, it's proven. I mean, yeah, <laughs> there's still something going on. Yeah, so it's an assumption that you and I have this eye somewhere, or but this consciousness. I don't know. I don't know what that is. That's getting very deeply into a philosophical exploration. Totally, uh, it was you know, yeah. super fun to have. Yeah. And most people of your listeners might want to know, well, how do I sell real estate better? <laughs> Figure out <laughs> how who do I are. find a deal. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, a lot of this money. stuff is totally relevant, though. I mean, finding out who you are as a subconscious person and, like, who you are, what you are good at is extremely important no matter what field you're in. Yes, exactly. Um, so, cool, Barry. Um, what do you – what's your vision, let's say, for the next 12 to 24 months? What, what are you working on building now? I – well, overall, my vision – is having a world work for everybody and nobody left out. 
you know that's like a vision that's probably that's never going to happen right but i could be committed <laughs> let's <to that> say <laughs> i got I my fingers crossed for you barry <laughs> yeah you do you know we don't destroy ourselves before then but you know bringing integrity to the world of business to people in general through life and that having people have a commitment to workability to things working in life so that they're nurtured and empowered and when they're nurtured and empowered they empower other people so i got a big vision around that and that's what i'm spreading to organizations work and management you know and having a great life and having you matt and you tim have great lives and all our listeners have awesome lives because when you're having an awesome life the people around you experience that too don't totally they? and you give hope and inspiration yeah by modeling now there is one other thing. I have these little notes here. There, one of your questions was one. What's one thing that most people do not know about me? Well, in two weeks, my friend John and I, uh, we were performers in playing guitar in clubs and all back in the seventies. So we wrote some music together, and we're going to go to Los Angeles and re finally record our music with very professional musicians. You know, a guy, a drummer in America, and some of these other people. And we're going to come out with a fun product. But it's not like in order to I go make a living doing music or make tons of money. It's just the experience of it. Never been in a studio and done any of that. So, hey, what the heck? And I'll love it. You know, send it to you. <laughs> love it. Oh, so we love it. Oh, please do. It. Yeah. I mean, life is about the experiences. Yeah. <laughs> right. Even, <laughs> even if you're not and proud of it. It's yeah. Imperfect action every day. Um <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's absolutely fantastic stuff, Barry. Um, if our audience wants to get a hold of you, if they're looking to introduce some more integrity to their life or perhaps, um, you know, do one of these events that you guys do, um, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you? Oh, my God. I'm going to give you an email. because So the company's name is Integritus Consulting Group, which nobody can spell. So it really is Integrit uh, IntegritusConsult.com or I-N-T-E-G-R-I-T-A-S consult.com. Or maybe if they email me, Barry, B-A-R-R-Y-B-555, that's the number, at msn.com. That'll be the easiest one. And I'll respond in as, as quickly as I can. And then we do have an Integrity, Ma Integrity Matters workshop on August 26th, and I have a leadership program. That's a one day for $499. And we have a, uh, the leadership program starting in October, stuff like that. So if they want to, or they just want to talk about this, it's fine too. Perfect. Thank you so much, Barry. All that information will be in the show notes. so Everybody can easily access it. Barry Berman, um, we want to sincerely thank you for coming on our show and giving us a glimpse of your life and business and to everybody else out there chasing freedom. Freedom is acquired one action at a time. If you do nothing else, just write down one action that you got from today and make sure to implement it in the next seven days and share it with somebody you know that can hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you again for tuning into today's episode and we'll catch you on the next one. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 